you can flush so many toxins around. I've made people feel sick. <laughs> really? <laughs> One of your previous podcast guests. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> we thought he had the flu at training camp a couple of years ago. <laughs> That's awesome. Because I gave him a really deep tissue massage and I didn't realize how long it had been uh, since he got massaged, which was my bad for not asking. But yeah. he uh, had a little flu-like symptoms. That's hilarious. Just for a day. Welcome to the Training Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Newkirk, and thanks for joining me. Today, we take a look at the use of massage in sport. My guest is Emma Coughlin, who has been a swan year and massage therapist for quite a few high-profile pro cycling teams. We chat through a variety of different things on the massage side, such as the different types of massage, when they are best used, and how they can be beneficial. We also cover what it's like to be a big part of a team staff and how picky athletes can be, and some good stories along the way. So without any further delay, enjoy my conversation with Emma. Good morning, Emma. How are you doing? I'm good. Awake. I'm here <laughs> drinking <is>. good coffee. <laughs> it is a beautiful morning in Boulder, Colorado. Um, so I asked you on the podcast to help us understand how pivotal having a support team is for an athlete and to find their best performance within that. Um, all athletes need this support crew and it just kind of depends on the athlete as to how critical each member is within their sport crew. So you started by going to massage therapy school, correct? Yes. And, uh, what did you, how did you decide to do that? Why? Oh, I get that question a lot. Uh, I honestly don't remember exactly why I went to undergrad, um, and studied psychology. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, which that's a switch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I was always interested in massage. I would like give my parents shoulder rubs and, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And interested in the body and the muscles just from riding bikes all throughout college. And yeah, I just seemed like an interesting thing to do. And I'm a tactile learner. And yeah, I was, it was a good, good decision. I was happy about it. Cool. <laughs> uh, so did, do you use your psychology side at all within your, I guess, like working <laughs> as analyzing everybody? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> no, not really. Okay. I don't think, man, I mean, probably to a certain extent, but okay. all right. Just, yeah. just curious. So <laughs> I, in um, massage school, what, or I guess uh, massage therapy school, is there a sports side to that training or is it just kind of general? Um, every program is different. So it's a certificate program. And I think, you have to do a minimum of 650 hours, wow. I want to say. Um, and then you take a licensing exam. But in the 650 hours, most schools will do like a brief introduction to all the modalities. Um, so I think our sports side of it was maybe 12 hours. So not a lot. Yeah, not, not really. Um, yeah, and very, very brief. And other than that, we I mean, we learned Swedish and all those other, you know, little brief intro to see if you want to take continuing ed in any of the, huh. yeah. Huh. Did you, when you, I guess, transitioned into kind of more of the sports realm, did you find that 12 hours to be useful or were you just kind of like learning as you got into it? Uh, I think, 
the most useful part of it was getting to know the instructor teaching us because he was more focused on deep tissue and sports. Um, and I, we had to like massage instructors for like kind of exams and I wanted to massage him to get his feedback because that, you know, just getting his side of things. I didn't, I knew I didn't want to do like Swedish spa type Mm. relaxation. So you knew that you wanted to do sport massage. Yeah. Oh, cool. Why? Uh, it's just more interesting. I get bored doing a Swedish massage because you don't like clients won't want you to dig in if there's like a knot or an area that they need to have focused on. They don't want to feel pain <laughs> at all, <laughs> which I guess is probably a good thing. But with sports, it's more interesting because you can like figure out the problems and what's going on with their body. Hmm. So yeah, I guess what are the different styles of massage? Or oh, what is, yeah. What so it, many. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to, uh, so sports and deep tissue, um, then there's Swedish, which is the spa, which has more of like the aromatherapy and hot stones and that sort of aspect of it. Um, okay. nothing wrong with it. feels great. <laughs> uh, then there's like myofascial release and lymphatic drainage and yeah, I mean, and myofascia has become more popular more in the sporting realm too. Yeah, definitely. Applicable. That's hmm. one thing I would want to get certified in. Hmm. Okay. So you're, you, when you leave, um, massage therapy school, what are you certified in then? You're not really certified in any specific thing. you just have a massage therapy certificate. And then, so I would never claim to be mis- like uh, myofascial release certified, even if I do add a little bit of the, you know, that in there that into my normal massages um but i just won't claim to be certified in that so i'm certified in like cupping oh gosh i don't even remember what my certificates are (laughs) like the do you have to go back then to school for those specific certifications yeah you do it at the same time uh you go back to school okay so there's continuing ed which is um usually just like weekend classes okay depending on how intense um and they're usually quite expensive. So it's, yeah. Do you, do you have to have the massage therapy like certificate up front to be able to do those continued? I ed? honestly don't know. Okay, I kind of think depending on who the instructor is, you could probably just pay to take the class just mm-hmm. to have that skill. But for a lot of them, it's really useful to have the background of yeah. massage. <laughs> when you, so you mentioned cupping, mm-hmm. why did you choose that specific certificate then or why did you go back to learn more about that um at the office i worked at in raleigh north carolina it was a sports massage office and my boss had these cupping machines so it's a bizarre it's like it's a machine that has tubing that goes to glass cups so you set the suction and like Mm -hmm. you know they have suction release she has all those and she wanted us to get certified and so we could use the machines obviously um and yeah, I thought it was super interesting. And I, I bought one of the machines as well oh, and cool. have it in Boulder. So cool. yeah. How often do you use it? Um, it's well, it's been a while since I've worked. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. it's still at the office that I work at. Uh, it kind of depends on the client, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah. I think so. like towards the end of my racing career, I was using it quite often within yeah. certain injuries and yeah. um, trying to relieve fascia yeah some people request it just because i mean when it first when i first started um working with the cupping uh was when michael phelps came out with the cupping marks all over his back so i was massaging like high school swimmers that were like i want what michael Uh phelps has so that's hilarious yeah okay (laughs) um 
All right. So in your opinion, then the use of massage for athletes, how, I guess, what is the, um, what can a massage do for an athlete? Um, so I guess it depends versus rate, like during a race, especially for stage racing versus leading up to a race. Mm -hmm. So with injuries, I think it's super important to get massaged once a week for like four weeks and then reassess, um, and maintenance. Ideally you could do it every two to three weeks, um, depending on financial state. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's really useful for figuring out pre-season, like getting ready to start racing and figuring out any issues going on, especially in the off season. Um, during races, it's not like about fixing anything. You don't really want to mess with the body because the body's under so much stress during race. Anyways, your muscles are pretty beat up. So I don't want to beat them up much more, uh, for during the race, during a stage race, it's just best for like a relaxation and kind of get out of your head and chill out on the table and just whatever helps you feel better and recover. So, Mm -hmm. all right. So if you're an athlete, um, and you're starting your season out, one of the things I've noticed a lot with my athletes is the concept of when to do a massage. And, um, oftentimes what tends to happen is they wait until they're injured. Mm-hmm. Um, which is at that point, you know, you're doing corrective work and, um, it's, it's usually helpful as a tool, but at the same time, it, in my opinion, it's more important to have that in place prior. And then also what a lot of athletes do is they maybe get a massage before an important race. And that's the only time they do a massage. Um, I kind of see the pro there are pretty big pros and cons within that mm-hmm. because you, have athletes that do a deep tissue massage, maybe like a couple of days before the race and they're super beat up. Yeah. Um, so I guess diving a little bit farther into when, um, you should do massages and why and what they do. So let's say, yeah. let's start with the maintenance side. So mm-hmm. when you're, if you're doing a massage, if you're lucky enough to be able to do a <laughs> massage year round, let's say you're doing it once a week, mm-hmm. what is the implications of that and what kind of massage is that? And when, um, how do you chart your training around that or should you? Um, so if you're doing more maintenance side of things, uh, it's best. Well, then your body is more used to the massage. So if you're going, if you don't normally get massaged and then you jump into a race where you're getting massaged every day, your body might be a little, you know, in shock or like the people getting a massage like the week before they do a race, but they never get massaged. I don't like if that helps them mentally, fine. But I just don't think it's the best idea because you don't really want to alter their body or like, you know, you want what is it the saying? Like race, how you train or yeah. is that a saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So you don't want to switch things up too much. Um, and you can flush so many toxins around. I've made people feel sick. <laughs> really? <laughs> One of your previous podcast guests. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> we thought he had the flu at training camp a couple of years ago. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. Because I gave him a really deep tissue massage, and I didn't realize how long it had been uh, since he got massaged, which was my bad for not asking. But yeah. he uh, had a little flu-like symptoms. That's hilarious. Just for a day. Um, but yeah, so for weekly maintenance, it's nice because then you can kind of cater like if you want just a relaxing massage, you can do that one week. Or like if you have issues that you feel start creeping up, like you can be like, just focus on this or like, I want full body this week or just low body this week or, you know, done the maintenance work. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah. 
at races. Yeah. What type of massage are or events? Let's just go with events. Okay. Um, what do people want? What do they What do they look for? Um, do you do it before the race? Do you do it after the race? Like, mm-hmm. what are you looking for? So. True. Um, so I've worked with runners, collegiate runners, and cyclists. So those are like the only two sports. Um, like I've worked mostly with, um, and so normally for events, we'll get to events a few days before we'll start massaging the several days leading up and then we'll massage post event every day. Um, sometimes more so with runners, I would, especially sprinters, cause I would do the collegiate track meets. Um, they would want me to do like a real brief massage with uh like tiger balm or something you know it's something to like warm up their muscles if the race was slightly cold and outside because sprinters do not like being cold yeah yeah. um but yeah so during the race it's kind of whatever the um the you know athlete wants um i've had cyclists that are just they only want like a very light flush or they're like dig in as hard as you can, you know, or it's just like, please just rub my head. <laughs> like my neck just needs a massage. Um, cause I remember, I think last year at Tour of California, I was working with Trek and Tom's, he was the main guy I was massaging and it was, he like his legs were not feeling great at the beginning of the week. And so they're pretty sore. And so he didn't really want me to work on them. He just wanted neck work, hmm. um, which whatever, I mean, whatever will help you recover. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's knowing your body right there. Yeah, that's exactly. You need. Yeah. Yeah. It, I find it interesting how different types of athletes want certain things. Oh yeah. Um, like I've had teammates in the past that literally just want their like, <laughs> like light brushes on their legs yeah. and that's it. Yeah. And then like, I personally wanted more of like the deep mm-hmm. type massage, basically, you know, not needing to foam roll later, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's very personal. Yeah. Um, and I also worked with another Swanee who he was certified in the stretching technique and it's yeah, a big yeah. certification. Cool. Um, and so he would offer that to the riders and some riders would only want that certain days instead of actually getting a massage. So super cool. Yeah. Huh, that's interesting. I mean, the, what I, it was funny when, when I was more towards the, like the end of my career I had, I was more, I guess on the older end of the scale and I <laughs> tended to need a lot more like PT work on yeah. the table <laughs> than true massage. So I would be the guy that would get like a 30 minute massage and then do like 30 minutes of PT. Yeah. Um, and then I, you know, I'd be the one taped up and everything. So it's just, yeah, it's different. And that can change throughout your career oh, yeah. too. And you need to be aware of that. And I think, so what about relationship with working with an athlete? Um, you know, this could be on teams or this could be outside, um, just locally. Is it important to get to know the athlete's body and kind of what they need and how long does that take? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it depends it doesn't take that long. If you're massaging them consistently, you kind of get a feel for what normal is for them. Hmm. You know, if they come in, they're like, everything feels great. And then you like kind of assess, see where they're tight when they feel great is, you know, yeah. and then they'll come in, they say like, I feel terrible. And then you kind of see like what's different. Um, so I think it's really important to get to know the clients. Um, and that's why it's kind of weird being thrown into a team that you don't normally work with. Cause that's happened with me. And I mean, normally it's during a race, so you don't want to change anything anyways. Um, but yeah, I think it's super crucial to get to know the athletes Build and that relationship. Yeah. And yeah. the, and they'll trust you. Like, 
which helps. Yeah. That's why training camps are really nice. Um, if you're new to a team, just like spend every day with the riders and see what's going on, see their personalities. Yeah. And I had one guy first year on Hincapi that I was touching his kneecap <laughs> and he did not like that. He said Ooh, he, perfect. you can only touch his kneecap if he trusts you. Uh, <laughs> so it wasn't until like halfway through the season that if I touch his kneecap, he wouldn't freak out about it so there's little <laughs> yeah. things like that little quirky things yeah. yeah that's that's hilarious yeah it's it definitely seems like uh so how often do you get somebody on the table that um they say everything's fine and then hmm. you start working on them and then you, it's pretty obvious that like something is not fine a lot of the time <laughs> mostly with non-athletes because i think <laughs> athletes are pretty body aware hmm. Um, but it's like, it's the clients that work just desk jobs that they're like, Oh, I don't really exercise. So nothing's wrong. But it's like, you sit at a desk all day, which is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like that's not good for your neck and shoulders and back. Um, so it's more so those people that are just like, I start massaging them. I'm like, you are so tight. Like everything is locked up. Hmm. Um, and like just imbalances everywhere. So, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Switching over to what it means to be a swanier. Um, so literally a swanier means caretaker in French. Uh, but I wanted to ask you what that word means to you. Hmm. Oh, swanee. Um, caretaker is a very good definition of it. Um, just the support staff and it has, being a swanee there's so many different aspects to the job massage is just one aspect not even a big portion of the day um but just being there for the riders in any way they need and you know helping to cook for them laundry anything um yeah just support yeah. mentally physically <laughs> yeah like on the road and outside as well depending yeah. on how the setup is yeah yeah um so when did you start being a, a swanier uh, 2015, the day after I graduated massage school. <laughs> <laughs> Quick. Uh, yeah. Yes. I graduated on a Friday and then Saturday I went to Hencappy team camp, <laughs> awesome. uh, which was a bit of a shock, but it was fun. It was yeah. good. Why did that appeal to you? Uh, just to be in the cycling world. And since I raced bikes in college, I, and still ride bikes, I like being around it and understand the races for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I'd met the other Swanee right before I went to massage school at some bike races and he showed interest in wanting to hire me. And so then, cool. yeah. Did you know down. what all was on the duty list of a Swanee? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Not completely. Uh, yeah, it was, at least it was a very relaxed setting for yeah, the first the team, team camp. camp yeah. <laughs> so we, I just showed up and I had, I think only two riders were at the house and I, <laughs> maybe knew one of them and they were showing, you know, giving me a tour and kind of letting me know how things went. And when it came to massage time, I asked the other Swanee, I was like, so like, can I watch you do one first? And he was like, Nope, you got this. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. It's my first massage outside of massage school. A little intimidating, but it's okay. I think it went well. <laughs> but you probably didn't have to like cook in that setting or like do any, anything no. else in that setting. Um, I definitely had to do like we cleaned constantly and laundry and filled bottles yeah. upon bottles. Uh, I think we had a chef, so I didn't have to cook. 
but I had to do dishes and all that. All right. So. That, that's a good segue. What, so at a Swan does a ton, like they do a lot of different things and at a race, um, you know, they're essentially one of the first people up and they're one of the first people to go to, or last people to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and their like very pivotal role is basically trying to make sure that the rider has to do as little as possible. Um, what do you think is the most important role that a swanier plays? Oh, geez. Um, I, I think just doing the little things that make racing harder. If you have to do that as an athlete, like filling 200 bottles yeah. in the sun, <laughs> you know, or like just anything like standing to fill the 200 bottles, I think is the worst part of it yeah. for riders. Um, <laughs> and just not having, helping them, so they don't have to think as much about the little, like anything that's going to stress them out, like going to the laundry mat. If there's not laundry, um, that's something a rider would never want to do. I guess they could just rush, wash their stuff in the bathtub, but, uh, yeah. And like making race food, like rice cakes for them. Um, just things that they might not have access to. Like they're not going to bring their own rice cookers <laughs> probably. Yeah. No. Um, so all those little things I think are the most important, just easing their mental state. <laughs> yeah. Going through the ranks, like you, you just kind of get used to certain things. So like, for example, when you're, um, when you're an amateur and you're going to your first stage race or something like that, you know, you're probably going to go out to eat quite a bit. And, you know, you might have a kit for every stage or maybe you like, if you're doing a super long one, like usually most amateur stage races are at the longest, like four days long. Um, so it's pretty easy to have enough clothing to get through that stage. It's pretty easy to have just like a certain amount of bars to get yeah. you through that stage. It's pretty simple to just go out to eat. It might take a little bit longer than you need. Um, but if you're on a pretty large operation team and you're at a pretty big event, it might be like seven plus days long. And when it's seven plus days long and your stages are, uh, you know, any, like basically around 200 K every day, like that's a, it's a lot of stress to be able to add in, you know, making sure you have variety of food, making mm-hmm. sure the bottles are filled. Like you might think that, uh, filling, you know, 200 bottles doesn't take very long, but it does. And when you have to like then customize drink mix and all sorts of junk like that, like it adds up. So it's, yeah, yeah it's pretty amazing what you relieve when you hire a swanger for a team. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, what is your least favorite thing to do as a swanger? Oh, I think sit at laundromats. <laughs> I did that a lot at one race last year that cause there, I was at a race and I, there were four swannies. Um, cause you know, world tour teams, that's makes it all easier for everybody. And I had laundromat duty cause none of our hotels had laundry. And if they did, it was like one washer, one dryer, and every other team was trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent several hours <laughs> sitting in laundromats, listening to podcasts. <laughs> like, it, yeah, that, and just, oh God. Yeah. So much, so much money on <laughs> laundromats. Yeah, just. That would probably be be my least favorite. Okay, and yeah. the, the upper class teams too, or like the higher end teams, tend to do laundry like every day, too. And, yeah, and some of them have washer and dryer in their um, the RV, RVs. Yeah. But if you're not an American based team, or if you don't have that set up in America, yeah, no way. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. 
yeah, it's always funny um, going to a different country and trying to work their laundry system yeah. um, and figure that side of things out. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Okay. So switching to the team side of things, mm-hmm. um, you've worked with, you know, quite a few teams along the way. Um, and within that played a pretty major role within quite a few riders careers. Um, which teams really stand out to you in your career and, and why? Um, Hincapi definitely because it was my first team and I, I worked with them through last year, at yeah. least part-time. Um, and it's always been like a weird little family. I'm really close to the director and it's just been a different atmosphere than most teams I worked for. Um, so that one will always be very special to me. And I still talk to those guys. Um, and that's how I've met my other Swanee friends, like how I got introduced to everything and, Brian, the other Swanee I worked with, he taught me so much about how to be a Swanee. Um, so that was a very crucial team. Um, I think of the other ones, uh, Trek was the first like really big team I worked for. I only worked for them for a week, um, in California, but that was just, it was weird it was a good experience, but it was weird to see how a world tour team is run (laughs) at a race and just how much like the resources they have. And, um, so that was a big learning experience, especially that was one where I was thrown in. I didn't know anybody. I knew one rider. And so I didn't know any of the staff didn't know any of the other riders. It was very overwhelming (laughs) just showing up. I was like, Oh, okay. Um, so remembering everybody and yeah, it was, quite intimidating um and then I think the U.S. mountain bike team definitely um they that was my first introduction into the mountain bike world last year in April um at the Pan Am championships and it was just a nice collection because the USA cycling just took the top you know so many elite women so many elite men U23 and I think we had one junior with us one junior boy um and that was my first, I've never been to a mountain bike race before that. <laughs> and so, uh, they, that was a good introduction just like a very elite big race yeah. and in Mexico. And it was, it was, a, yeah, it was a cool experience. And ever since then, I've worked with them a few more times since then. And it's always been a fun collection of people cause they all are on different teams hmm. when they're not racing on the USA. So that's an interesting dynamic, but what's the primary difference, I guess, between working with a road team and a mountain bike team, uh, transfers, yeah, <laughs> um, that'll do it. driving, well, road races, you drive to hotels, different hotel, basically every day. Yeah. And in mountain biking, you have one hotel and you just have to trans like drive out to the course and then you are, have a tent set up that each team or country has a tent set up and you just are stationed out of that. And the course is all close. So you don't, you know, you don't have to like drive to the feed zone. You just pull your little cooler to the feed zone. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Is there a difference that you notice between personalities of mountain bikers versus roadies as far as you being uh, working for them? Um, yeah, well, I think it's just how things are run. Hmm. Um, because in mountain bike races, they're obviously much shorter and everybody has their own nutrition sponsor and everybody has their own way they want to be fed during a mountain bike race. 
So I would have a cooler with everybody's individual bottles labeled with laps for like, they want this bottle on this lap because it has this goo hooked onto it. Oh man. You know, like they want caffeine one lap, not the next. And so you have to be really on top of like what lap it is, (laughs) which gets confusing because they usually will come through the feed zone twice, um, in a mountain bike race twice per lap. Um, but personality wise, I mean, especially cross country mountain biking, I think it's pretty similar, Hmm. um, to road, except I think they're not used to having other people do things for them as much. Whereas like the elite, like pro road racers are like, you know, they've gotten used to that. Having a Swanee all the time. We're a little more prima donnas. (laughs) They can be a little bit. bit. (laughs) Yes. That's, that's, that's what I expected. Um, that's interesting because I bet it'd be a lot of basically full gas from the beginning because cross country and other races aren't that long. So mm-hmm. it's kind of probably you just have a lot going on for a very short period of time. And then you're like, well, all right, I'm done. It's hectic. Uh, yeah. It's so hectic. And with mountain biking, there's so many different categories. And so if you have a rider in each category, yeah. you're out there, like the race might be an hour and a half. I think that's the max normally for a cross country race, but it's like you run to the start, you're there for their warm up on rollers. Then you take the cooler, run to the feed zone, and then you run to the finish line. And then you have to do it immediately after for the next race because it's like, uh, you know, juniors and then U23 and then elite and men and women on both sides. So that's a little more, it keeps it interesting, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely an all day thing. Yeah. Dang. Um, the, so this goes back to a little bit to the psychology thing that I touched on, Mm -hmm. which I didn't know. And that's really (laughs) interesting to hear, but Um, I know that a lot of riders and myself included, um, use the time on the massage table as a time to relax and kind of unwind. Um, how often over the years have you had a rider rely on you for more on the psychological support side? So, you know, talking to you or Mm -hmm. using you as support in that way, um, either on the table or off, I guess. Um, it hasn't happened a ton and I don't, it's happened more with the women I've worked with. And I worked mainly with men's teams, but I've worked with a pro women's team this year and the mountain bikers. And so I think women are a little more, at least the women I've worked with, like they're more, they want to talk more on the table or if they're having a bad day, they're more willing to talk about it. And then I think some of the guys I've worked with, they just kind of want to like internalize it. Yeah. And just, they just want to like relax in silence more so. Um, but I'm always there to listen. Like I'm not going to egg anything on, like if they want to talk, they want to talk. And if they don't, they don't like, I kind of, that's how I treat every client in every setting I work with. Some want to talk the entire massage. (laughs) Others, you can tell they're like, don't ask me any questions. I just want to sit here (laughs) in silence. I wonder if that's a reference of, um, you know, male versus female as a rider, yeah. or is it male versus female of you and how that like dynamic plays out yeah, of like female talking to female versus male be, talking to female. Yeah. That could play a role. Like I wonder if female riders would talk to a male Swanee as much, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, and it probably helps that I'm close to their age Yeah. or you yeah. Know, their age. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they might feel comfortable with me. Um, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> Always the goal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, there have definitely, it's come up, you know, people just need to vent and I'm not going to tell anybody. It's kind of like a safe space on the table if they want to vent. Like um, that. or a lot of times they'll just want to come in and play music and yeah. zone out 
or or sometimes they'll sit on their phones and yeah so I've, they've, I've noticed that they haven't been on their phone all day during the race and so they're catching up on every social media and responding to everything oh, which man. ideally <laughs> you don't do that on the table because i don't think it helps you relax Not at all. No. um you know but yeah again to each his own i guess yeah yeah it's I've noticed the same thing throughout the years, um, just different teammates doing different things. Um, I feel like those that are on their phone are just like, oh, this is something that I have to get through. Yeah. Yeah. No one's forcing you to get no, a massage. No, <laughs> But yeah, it is an odd thing where riders are like, oh, this, I have to do this. Yeah. Um, okay. What is the key on a team to being a good swanier? Oh, geez. Um, oh, experience is a lot of it um because there's a lot to remember <laughs> which is a big thing because I don't have I don't think I have the greatest memory I'm not gonna lie um but we have so many lists like the Swanee group I know we share lists like shopping lists and lists for like what do you keep in the cars what do you keep in the vans like what bin holds what what foods do you need to bring to each race like how much do you need to bring um, and little things, it's like, make sure you have safety pins and like band-aids and random stuff that you, and like Advil, you know, like don't forget the med kit, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. so I don't, I mean, yeah, I think just experience is what I don't, yeah. Experience is very helpful. Um, and just being able, if you forget something to like, not get caught up on that roll with the punches. Yeah. yeah. And just stay relaxed. Yeah. Cause if you're overwhelmed, then that can rub off on others. And like your main thing is like, yeah, you don't want to overwhelm <laughs> the riders. <laughs> like they're about to race their bike. So exactly. They don't want to hear about this or like feel the energy change. And yeah, so. I, I feel like being chill is, is really important because yeah. you also get stuck in some pretty horrible situations as, team members because you're you know whatever for whatever reason maybe you're at a feed zone and it's 105 or maybe you're at a feed zone and it's pouring rain and 30 yeah. like you still have to be there and yeah um i i will say in regard to like experience and organization and remembering things i had one memory of i think it was a tour of utah where the riders just get and this is the purpose right that you were mentioning that you you're trying to relieve stress for the riders mm -hmm. but basically the riders get into this bubble where it's just like stage what's the next stage mm -hmm. what's the next stage how am i feeling what is, what do i yeah. need to do to recover like it's just this checklist of things and yeah. it, most times riders are pretty focused on themselves mm -hmm. um and and you know like that's kind of what you need to do so there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that but I remember going down one day from the hotel and getting to the team car and it's like before stage. So I'm all ready to go. And then the cars are all ready to go and the cars yeah. are loaded and they're all like organized and everything's in their own bins and they're all full and like all the bottles are ready to go and the coolers are filled and the bikes are really clean and ready mm -hmm. to go. And you're just like, I don't have to worry about any of this. And yeah. there's so much work that I just like am so involved in my own bubble. Yeah. Um, that I just don't see it. So it definitely reminded me as a racer to be like, all right, there's a lot that goes on mm -hmm. that I am thankful to be able to just not worry about. And yeah. that's, um, something that racers need to be grateful for, for a long time and maybe have motivation to give back. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's a crazy circus behind the scenes, exactly. especially if you're at like the race hotel, it's funny to look out the windows yeah. and just see, look down on like all the team cars and people just frantically yeah. running around doing so many things. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, yeah. It's a funny, a funny world. Yeah. Um, One of my yeah. favorite races to, in that regard is Bose because it's oh. one big, tall hotel that all the teams are at. A super small parking lot right in front of it. On a hill. On a hill. And it's just like this, it's just one parking lot. So every room can look out and see all the different staff just like running around with their heads cut off. It's so funny. And it's, it's usually a little bit of a cluster and a half of a race. And, um, you know, like there's one day that has two stages and they're pretty crazy stages. So it's just, it's one of those things that that is a, I have great memories of looking at and being like, wow, I'm glad I'm not them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially if it's like pouring rain outside yeah. or like snowing, oh, which a lot of those Canadian races, <laughs> we Far. had some rough yeah. days, Man. but yeah, we would always, I mean, it's just part of the gig and I, it's always, yeah, just whatever can distract the riders. So they're not aware of the hecticness, yeah. like, yeah. And just catering to the riders. It's funny. I don't know. I like the amount of grocery store runs I've done at like midnight. <laughs> like, cause somebody needs Epsom salts for a bath. They're like, I, at uh tour of California last year with Trek, one of the riders came in cause I would have snacks in my room. Like, and we would keep them healthy. Like, you know, trail mix or beef jerky or fruit or whatever. And one rider came in and goes, can you just buy candy? <laughs> I was like, well, if that's what you want, like yeah. that's fine. Seriously. It's like whatever helps you. <laughs> um, so back to teams, mm-hmm. what makes a bad team to work for and what makes a good team to work for? Uh, I don't, um, I don't think I've ever really worked for a bad team. Um, I think there are always issues with teams. Um, just if, you know, if like staff don't get along, that's always kind of a hard thing. There's like that unnecessary tension, um, and just stress. Um, but other than that, I mean, and if like a rider's having a bad race, that's always an interesting thing to deal with. Um, especially if it's a race they've been focusing on that kind of just yeah. puts the whole vibe, like the whole team vibe off. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, or like if there's a bunch of crashes, like oh, that's a hard thing to recover from team wise mentally. It's just like, cause people are beat up or if people are out of the race because they crashed or they've, how many bikes have we broken or wheels or whatever? Cause those things are very fragile. Yeah. <laughs> um, that kind of, it's never like a bad team. I don't think, I just think like things can go wrong. Um, or like and how yeah. they respond to them. Kinda. Yeah. And just like, if things are just off one race, you can't help that sometimes. Yeah. It, yeah. It all comes in waves almost sometimes. Yeah. Or like if team cars are breaking down or yeah. like, you know, like ra- random things you wouldn't realize, like, Team cars getting in crashes in the caravan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Those little things. It's like, oh, that's an added like stressful thing for all the directors. Now they have to go fix the car <laughs> or like, you know, cause I've been on teams where that's happened. And yeah, I mean that goes with the kind of rolling with the punches thing and staying yeah. chill and just being like, well, I've got to do this. So I've got to put in this work. I've, yeah. um, 
like at one year at tour of Utah, our second teen car crashed yeah. in the caravan. And, uh, I think it was, they crashed into Creed's car and mm-hmm. like that it was, you know, one team being mad at the other team because they crashed when really it was, um, a chain of events and just things just kind of happened. You guys are yeah. driving so close to exactly. each other. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and I think it was on a dirt road and yeah, it's just yeah. a cluster anyways. And yeah, but you, you have to go get that car replaced or repaired mm-hmm. or something. And we got a loaner car from the race because of that. And it was, um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty, I think it's kind of cool what you can scrounge together when you really have to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's it's, just, oh God. Yeah. I mean, I remember driving to one race, I think it was, Alberta, Tour of Alberta, a rock hit our windshield and like shattered our windshield. Wow. Yeah. It took a chunk, like glass was on the inside of the car. Dang. I think uh, Craven was driving at that point. Or like, I think the other, <laughs> we had an incident <laughs> one of my first years racing or right. Oh my gosh. Working. Sorry. <laughs> uh, working for Hank Happy. Um, we had our RV that would have we would keep the keys to the cars in it at night. We had like a little box and in the morning before a race, the RV left pretty early and we forgot to get the van keys out. We (laughs) thought. And so we couldn't find the van keys and the RV was gone. And we're like, well, how are we going to transfer to the race? Like we don't have that much time. And the RV is like 30 minutes up the road and our riders all are going to be in the van with the bikes and we were searching we were calling the rv driver he had a set of keys but we're like well where are the other set of keys like somebody had them and it ended up to be in like somebody's bag and luckily it wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be but that was that was (laughs) a stressful one that's also like none of the riders had any idea which is like (laughs) i don't know how we hid that (laughs) because we were frantic (laughs) like oh that was so stressful but yeah um, all right. Switching pages a little bit here, mm-hmm. going back to working on athletes. Yes. Um, I'm assuming not all athletes are easy to massage and some muscles or some type of muscle mm. can be harder to work on. Um, is that correct? And, uh, what, what are the harder body types in sport to kind of work on? Mm. Um, oh gosh. Uh, it's overall, of all athletes, uh, not just cyclists. Cause I don't want to, you know, yeah, yeah. um, I would say football players and sprinters have been the hardest in my experience. Sprinters cycling, running, um, because they're so dense muscularly that it's to get in. And like, usually they're pretty tight. A lot of sprinters I know on the running side collegiately, they didn't get a lot of body work. Um, it was more so the distance runners that were more like obsessive about it, which in a good way. Um, but work getting into their muscles is such a process if they're very dense and tight, it just takes so much to like warm up the muscles and like be able to dig in. Um, and they're just usually big, like, you know, got a lot of mass, so it's exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's really interesting. So you, you mentioned warming up the muscles. So when you start a massage, do you warm up the muscle to kind of like loosen it then is that yeah what you're it's doing? yeah like i don't it's so i don't shock 
the muscles because usually people will tense if it's too painful, yeah. you know, and they'll your their body will fight you and want to push you out. And mm-hmm. so warming it up is just getting their muscles like loose and warm and like ready to dig in too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, because if I just go in with an elbow into their leg, they're gonna be really <laughs> mad at me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the person is probably gonna be angry. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, it takes a little bit of warming up, and huh. that's where I use cupping a lot of the times if I'm not on the road. Um, cause I'll do like gliding cups and just kind of cup their whole body. Like I've worked with bodybuilders where I just cup their whole body before I start massaging them just to loose, like work on the fascial adhesions and hmm. yeah. To loosen it, it up that mm-hmm. way. That's yeah. really interesting. So I guess if, uh, is there a way of applying that on, I guess like home maintenance for athletes? So let's say for example, there are your foam rolling should an athlete maybe do some sort of dynamic stretching like before they foam roll to loosen up or, uh, I think it's always good to pair the two stretch foam roll. Um, yeah. And like ease into foam rolling. Like obviously if it's excruciating back off a little bit, like you don't have to spend so much time and effort digging in. Um, if it's incredibly painful and if you're just tensing, you're not getting anywhere like yeah and it sounds like you need to do more than just your problem spots too oh yeah yeah i think so i had one rider that would stretch and foam roll before every massage wow and his muscles felt great i bet (laughs) yeah that's awesome he never had any issues so yeah all right yeah next level um yeah so i guess dedication (laughs) yeah the easy side of massage then so the flip side of that Mm -hmm. is it the opposite then of those riders that are easy or to massage. Wait, what do you mean? Sorry. What? So like the, before we talked about athletes that are very difficult oh, yeah, to yeah. massage. Yeah. What about on the easy side? Um, yeah, it's, I guess the easier athletes muscularly would be, it's definitely been the ones that are very good at stretching and foam rolling on a regular basis. Um, and some people are just, you know, more prone to tighter muscles than others. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't say there's like a specific sport or, hmm. uh, yeah, it's just certain bodies. Body but types. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And there's some that you can handle like the deepest pressure and their muscles feel great. And then there's others that's like, you do very light work <laughs> and they're still really tense because <laughs> it hurts. Um, so yeah, everybody's so different. Yeah. So you just kind of got to get to know them and yeah figure it out yeah okay what so when you're going to miss to uh races or team camps or you're working how many massages are you doing a day normally or like i'm sure it probably Mm -hmm. depends but it depends uh if i'm the only swanee for the team and if it's a race i don't do more than four um just because there's so much other stuff to do yeah uh so the riders will usually get a massage every other day um, if I'm the only Swanee. Or if there's two Swannies, we split it, which is nice. Or three Swannies, we split it, and we all do all the work. And um, So everybody gets massaged every day. Um, but at team camp, if there's not much else going on, I'll try and do more a day or, like, more spot work. Like, if somebody's just like, hey, my neck. Like, I really just need neck work. Then that's easy to <laughs> throw in the mix. And, okay. Yeah. When does... Um what I was curious about is when does fatigue set in as a masseuse and um, is like the first rider you're working on getting the best massage? Like, well, how does that I work? I don't think so. Okay. Um, 
I definitely get tired. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't necessarily know if I think more, uh, yeah, I don't know if I would really say the first or the last massage is better or, you know, strong, like if I'm stronger for one of the other, <laughs> um, I don't think, I'm sure if I did like eight in a day by the end, I would be a little, yeah, little cracked little mentally <laughs> more so. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. it's a lot of energy to massage people like m- mentally draining. Cause especially if they just want to talk, um, yeah, I mean, I guess if human you, interaction, <laughs> yeah, if you did eight massages, that'd be basically like, I guess if you cut it in half, that's, but it's probably going to be like six hours. At yeah. Least. Cause I'm so bad at keeping a massage to 30 oh, really? minutes. I can't like, I'm bad at time management when I'm massaging. If I'm not looking at a clock, you there's a no timer way. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just, I don't know 30 minutes is so short. Like, is. Unless you just want a neck massage, like, yeah. or just want your back or, or something. Like a flush. Yeah. Basic, yeah. Yeah. But I'm still bad at keeping it to 30. <laughs> that's so, it, yeah, that's a lot of work it's, then. If you're doing eight hours, that would be a oh lot for God. anyone. I don't do that in my normal job. Yeah. Like, no one does. I <laughs> max, like, when I'm working in town at an office, I will maybe do five hours of massage a day. Yeah. Which is maybe. a long shift. And then I will be, like, destroyed by the end of the week. Wow. Yeah. And that's when I get injured. And then I need a massage, and it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So switching to what I wanted to touch on a little bit was travel. So, you know, obviously if you're working for teams, teams travel a lot. Um, there's a lot of different races. Um, and yeah, I mean, you have to be along for the ride and sometimes you're doing a little bit different travel to the, than the racers are just because you might need to be doing the driving. Um, where is your favorite place that, uh, work has taken you? Hmm. I would say, uh, Japan. Cool. Oh, or Australia. <laughs> uh, that's a hard one. I, yeah, I think Japan or Australia. Those are my two most recent trips. And yeah. And those are the top of the list. Yeah. It's a pretty good stint. Yeah. Well, <laughs> times have changed. I, would, yeah. <laughs> I was supposed to be in Europe right now oh, <laughs> with the COVID. Um, but yeah, last fall we went to Tokyo for the mountain bike test event for the Olympics, which was just, I mean, the culture there is so different. Yeah. And we were two hours outside of Tokyo um, at the like remote Olympic village where it's going to be mm-hmm. um, close to the mountain bike course. And it's just a cute town and beautiful there. I mean, you can see Mount Fuji from our hotel. Wow. Yeah. Um, that was a really cool experience. And it was just the people made it so much better. Um, just the group that we had, we, that we took to Japan. Um, yeah, it was so much fun. Uh, and the course was insane. So that also (laughs) added to it. Um, and then Australia, obviously it was really nice because I went in January. So it was summer there from the winter yeah Yeah, i did a good job of avoiding a lot of boulder winter um and it was my first time working with a new team and it was a big block so we all got to know each other really well um and that was the women's team that was rally women's team um and australia was beautiful and we actually got to enjoy it which a lot of places you travel to for races you don't actually get to see them it's like just hotels uh so we yeah, yeah we had couple days off in between races and we would go to the beach and we'd go out to eat and explore the city. So it was really nice. That's cool. 
uh, I guess this might be the same answer, but what is your favorite race you have worked? Oh man. I don't know if that's the same answer. Um, Hmm. I might say, Oh man, that is a hard one. I hmm. think it would maybe be, I feel bad cause I worked mainly with road, but a lot of my memories are going to the mountain bike world. That's fine. Uh, just cause the courses are like more remote and yeah. mountain towns normally. Um, I would say either Pan Am championships for mountain biking last year in Mexico in Aguas Calientes yeah. or, uh, I think that one was at the top of the list because it was like my first experience and it was kind of hectic. Like the feed zone was hectic, like so many people and, <laughs> parents and it was warm and beautiful and in the desert um or mountain bike worlds last year in mount saint anne cool quebec yeah very cool which was just like that was my first like whoa this is a really big race (laughs) like just all the different countries had their tent and yeah, it was crazy and the downhill was also at the same time and so it was just like a mix yeah of yeah, it was insane. Huh. Okay. Yeah. And it wasn't too far to travel. Yeah. And it was a nice mountain town. So that, that, <laughs> that is cool. That is funny that the, yeah, you just listed two mountain bike races and none of the road races make it. It's just, I think it's uh, the mount or the mountain bike racing seems to go to slightly more scenic places. Places, Like a tour of Utah obviously is beautiful, Yeah, but then there's like, uh, Joe Martin stage race. That's like Fayetteville's <laughs> Fayetteville. not the most exotic place. <laughs> or like, I guess road racing, the Philly cycling classic. Yeah. That, if that was still around, that would yeah, be wonderful. Such a cool race. That was one of my favorites just cause it was one day race up that maniac maniac. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that, yeah, that thing, <laughs> that, that, that hill massive street. And we had farm. a rider on the team that was from there and lived on that hill. Wow. So who was that? Robin Carpenter. Oh, cool. Robin, so I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's his parents cool. live like a block off. Of, no way. Yeah. That's super cool. And so they'd always have a party and we'd just be able to like walk over the course. <laughs> to his house. And, yeah. It was great. That's, that's rad. That's um, super cool. But yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I think those are the. All right. Um, one of the things that, you know, unfortunately really bonded me with some of the staff that I had on my teams over the years was crashes. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much all of my bad crashes whenever I went to the hospital, um, I had a team staff member with me. Um, yeah. And they would stay with me, you know, either till I was released or, you know, further beyond. Um, have you had to do that? And do you have any stories of what that entails? Oh, yeah. Well... I've been around a lot of crashes. Yeah. I've only gone to the hospital for one crash. All right. That's a good I, record. Yeah. I think most of the time it's just like superficial or it's like, oh, I broke my collarbone, but it's fine. Like, <laughs> you know, um, it's always sad. Obviously, I know last, oh, a couple of years ago, a tour of California, Brennan Rim, one of the first days crashed and broke his collarbone. Dang. And it's kind of like, ugh. Or like... Yeah. Riders will always get on my table and they're just covered in road rash. I'm like, yeah, that's gotta, gotta be difficult. Wipe off the ooze. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. on my, disinfect my table afterwards. Yeah. Ew. Um, or like concussions. That's always a terrifying thing. I've had a rider get on my table and halfway through he was like, I need to get off. I'm concussed. 
Wow. And we, I knew he was concussed. I think everybody did. And he's had a few bad concussions. So like he broke his helmet really bad. It was two of Utah. Dang. And I'm like glad he finally was aware. He was like, cause I think he was planning on staying. He like crashed was like 10 minutes down, broke his helmet, passed wow. the concussion test, got back in the race, got fourth. What? Yeah. That was also Robin. What? <laughs> yeah. Dude. And the next day I was like, I was like, there's no way he can start. Like he's definitely concussed. And yeah, he didn't start. But, um, the most recent race I worked was in, uh, Australia and Cadell's race. It was a bad day of weather <laughs> and it, I think it was like 60 degrees and rainy. Um, and the race was going so well. There were, yeah, I think five rally women. Um, and they had just helped pull back like a four minute break. Wow. I forget how long the race was, but with 20 K left, they were going down a hill at like 30 miles per hour or something, you know, something fast. I forget what speed and a good portion of the field crashed like 25 girls went down, I think. So four of our five girls went down and they all broke their helmets. Um, they all like all four of them, the crash went to the hospital and so I was standing at the finish line with the other Swanee and we knew we had one girl still in the race, Chloe, and she had no idea they crashed. She was like, cause they had pulled off the front after they pulled back the brake and they were just there to protect her. And she was like, yeah, and everybody just stopped talking in the radio and I didn't know why. And it was because they all didn't have radios anymore. Like they, cause I texted our mechanic and I was like, I heard there was a big crash. Like, tell me what's going on. He was like, all four of them are out. Like they're all waiting on ambulances. And I'm like, what? And so it's like raining, it's miserable and we're stressed and we're waiting for Chloe to finish. And she got six and that was awesome. And then we're like, all right, Chloe, like some bad news. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Your teammates are in the hospital. So then we split, well, we spent that whole night basically at the hospital one we had one girl in one hospital but then they were full and so then we had three that had to go to another hospital luckily it was a small town and it was in Geelong Australia like near near Melbourne and so we went to one hospital we had our director at the one and then the other Swanee and I went to the hospital with three girls and it was just so sad like watching him getting wheeled in and they were all like bloodied and they were like all of them were convinced they broke something like they had all fallen on their elbows and they'd all broken their helmets. And luckily it wasn't as bad as we initially expected. Cause like, yeah, we, there were two that were like, I definitely broke my elbow, like definitely broke it. And then they all got x-rays and they're all fine. And so that was good. Uh, we did have one girl that broke an elbow and she, yeah, she had to spend a few days in the hospital cause she also had to get surgery. Like, well, she has previously broken both collarbones and had plates in both. And so she had to, uh, she waited until she got back to California, but had to get surgery on one of them. But yeah, so it was a really uh, tough day of taking care of them and bringing them snacks (laughs) and taking them home from the hospital and just like dressing their wounds for the next couple of days. And then we, missed the last race because we wouldn't have had enough riders to start it. I don't think we had any more helmets. Wow. Yeah. I think only one bike was broken, 
but we didn't have any more spare helmets, Wow, which was a weird feeling. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so they flew home early and we missed the last, the last day or the last race, which was, Uh, yeah. Um, well, this leads me to my last question, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting (laughs) intro to it. What keeps you doing this job what keeps you coming back <laughs> love the hospital yeah, <laughs> no, I'm just uh, that's the worst part um i think it's the community i i think it'd be similar for other sports but i don't know other sports as well and i grew up in cycling um and it's just a weird community like yeah. a good in a good way we all like all the swannies know each other and you are part of this team and you spend so much time with that team that it all just, it feels like a family. And it's like, those are your friends for like a month at a time when you're on the road. Like you can't, you're not in your family and like, you know, you're in Australia or like you're in Tokyo. That's so far away from yeah, home and like in a new country and you might not speak the language. So it's nice to have this familiar group and, um, yeah. So I think just the people and obviously it takes you to some awesome places. Um, yeah, it keeps it exciting. It's a lot more exciting than a normal massage job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say. Yeah. But I mean, there's always downsides like sickness and crashing, but just being there for the riders makes it worth it, I think. And I've had some of my best, like some of my best friends have come from this world. Um, I don't know. I always say I'm done with it and I always come back. (laughs) I can't not (laughs) be a Swanee. So yeah. Cool. It's a good world. Cool. Very good. All right, Emma, thank you so much. um, Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Talking to me about this. And I think that, yeah, this is really interesting both within the massage side and just what uh, having those people around you can do for you as an athlete. And I hope that, you know, listeners got some good insight into it and, yeah, if you're in the Boulder area, hit hit Emma up. She's good at what she does. Uh, but thanks, Thank Emma. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Emma. If you haven't already, please do subscribe, rate, and review. Also, feel free to seek us out on Instagram at Training Edge Pod and let us know what you think of the show. Till next week, keep finding your edge. <laughs>